Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of many lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my wonderful co-host with me, uh, and apparently he's my daisy today, uh, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Rossi? I meant to say Huckleberry, but I forgot the line, and then I remembered after I said it, but by that point it was too late, so... Particularly funny since I'm currently in my D and D game playing a uh, elven gunslinger who's modeled after Doc Holliday. Uh, okay then, Lunger, let's go. <laughs> All right, so this week we're going to be going through more questions because you folks, lovely, lovely listeners out there, have been giving us plenty of questions, and please keep those coming. If you have any, feel free to send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Make sure you specify which show it's for, or send them to us on Patreon in our patron uh, Q&A podcast question channel. Uh, first one up. Hey, watchers, two topics I thought might be interesting. One, if you're familiar with the Planescape D&D setting, whoo boy are we, perhaps you've seen parallels between it and Shadowlands that might be fun to discuss. I definitely see Shadowlands drawing inspiration from Planescape, Oribos from Sigil, the Arbiter from the Lady of Pain, Covenants from the fra- from the Factions. To me, it feels very similar down to Oribos being something of a gateway to the Outer Plains Shadowlands. What do you think? Could this be a way of opening WoW to a broader philosophical concepts and fleshing out the cosmology of the universe. Um, well, I think we'll deal with that one first, then we'll go on to the second one. And this is, these are from uh, Mate and Wrong, a Frost Death Knight from Melganus. So what do you think? Planescape. I, no, I, I don't know anything about Planescape. I didn't just, you know, have you guys in sigil this week or nothing. No, of course no, not. No, not me. Uh, <laughs> to answer you, I mean... Planescape itself draws inspiration from the stuff that was in D&D before it. I mean, people forget that before Planescape ever came out, there was actually a pretty involved Outer Planes to draw from. Mm-hmm. Like all the stuff you see in Planescape, I mean, there's a lot of new stuff, and I'm a huge fan of David Zeb Cook. Um, absolutely think the guy's a genius. I think Planescape is one of the better you know, supplements they ever put out. Um, but it, it does draw upon stuff that was there already, and that stuff itself draws on fantasy uh, I think you, you're looking back at Amber. Really. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Very, you know, the Amber stuff. The, you know, so do I think it's influenced? I think it probably is, uh, just because the people at Blizzard play D and D and are aware of it, and obviously have drawn inspiration from it before. Um, the Elemental Planes, for instance. Uh, how much of it is influenced by? You know, I mean. To a certain degree, uh, a gate city where you can go to go to other places is not a new concept. It goes back to actual history, like the road to Samarkand. That's something that existed in real Earth history. Uh, the Silk Road led to Samarkand, and Samarkand led to the east. You you traveled to there to then get to other places. Um, it's, it's a feature of how we traverse the world for a while. Uh, if it wasn't sea travel, which would meant you would go to a port city, and the port city would then lead you into to, into the interior, then there would be roads that went to specific places, and then they'd fan out from there. You can see that today if you look at any like nationwide transit system for countries that have solid nationwide transit systems, they tend to have hubs. So, is it how how influenced is it? It's probably at least there's at least a wink and a nod to it. Absolutely believe that. Um, in terms of how it's going to, I, I don't know that the Arbiter is the Lady of Pain. Uh, quite frankly, I don't think. I, honestly, there was a game a long time ago, and I don't know if you ever saw it, 
called uh, Wraith the Oblivion. Ah, yes, good old Wraith. And th- the Shadowland stuff, it's it's very similar to the Wraith the Oblivion world uh, and or the Exalted game that White Wolf put out with their Death Lords and so forth. There's a lot of in common there. Whether or not either of those is a direct influence or inspiration, I have no idea. It's quite possible that people at Blizzard have never heard of Wraith. Um, I don't think so, because like I said, they're relatively wired into gaming. And White Wolf wasn't... White Wolf was the biggest... Like They were, they were independent-ish, but they were pretty big and pretty famous. I think even if you didn't know about Wraith yourself, you probably knew about Vampire. Uh, and so it's kind of hard to not... I feel like it, somebody has probably seen it. But in terms of how strong an influence that's... Uh, I think, for that matter, Sean K. Reynolds did a campaign setting called, I think, Ghost Walk? Yeah, that's not right. Yeah, and that was another one where you like went, you physically went to the Land of the Dead. And, you know, so there, there's... This is not new stuff. Because there's... What's the old saying? There's nothing new under the sun. Trips to the underworld are, are as old as, you know, the, the Odyssey. Or even older where, that we we can't possibly tell, like since stories Gilgamesh, have been being told. Yeah, Gilgamesh going to uh, you know, going to see the you know Obnaptish them to try and get Enkidu back. That's that's kind of thing we've been seeing forever. But that being said, I would certainly not mind if they were taking a few cues from Planescape because Planescape was amazing. So, and I think I think Matt's right on the the money there. I. I I don't want to say it's not drawing influence from it because we can't possibly know. There are definitely some signs that, you know, there might be some winks and nods. And I think the tell will be when we start seeing NPCs and named characters. When we start interacting with those, I think that's where you really start to see if there's those moments, those nods. Uh, But this isn't anything as far as a new concept for role-playing games, RPGs, and even MMOs. Um, I mean, heck, Final Fantasy XIV has been dealing with something similar with the, you know, the whole eternal spirits and, you know, ones that come back from the dead and everything else. Like, they've been dealing with that since they released. So it's not unique or new, but what is or what will be unique or new is going to be their take on it, right? It's going to be how they make it very blizzardy how they they put their spin on it um that said i can see shades of sigil i can see shades of the lady of pain though i wouldn't necessarily like i agree with rossi i don't think the arbiter really would be the lady of pain since the arbiter seems to want followers and want people to you know give him power whereas the lady of pain just kind of is there um but the different factions and covenants sure i could i could see a lot of parallels being drawn there uh, but again, nothing terribly unique. It's it's something that I think is iterative, right? Like, and, and even us as like people who run games, even when we have like new ideas, quote unquote, a lot of times, even if they are new and fresh, sometimes they're based off of something we interacted with years ago, and this becomes an iterative idea. Or, hey, this was a cool concept. Let me put my own spin on it. I think that's more what we're going to have here. Um, but all I know is that this question made me want to go back and play Planescape again. And, uh, yeah, that's probably going to happen after this podcast is done. You know, you all were too eager to get out of the plane. So I couldn't really show you all the weird stuff I had in mind. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I have a feeling we'll be back. <laughs> uh, the second part of this question from May, May, yeah, mate wrong. 
Uh, I, as I've been listening to the podcast over the last few weeks, I've had a scenario running through my mind. I'm curious what you think. What if, after Shadowlands at some point, Urel's Lightforged managed to make their way to our Azeroth and convert Anduin? A crusade to bring Azeroth back to the light, and Anduin embraces the idea of a single truth to fix all the world's problems. I'll let you start with that one, since you're closer to the Alliance than I am, I think. I, it doesn't really feel like an Anduin thing to do. Anduin, he wants everybody to get along, but the idea of forcing everyone to get along... Uh, this is a guy who decided he couldn't even fight Sylvanas by himself, and needed allies, and needed people of differing opinions... And when he reached out to Sarfang, it, I won't say never, but I don't really see it as an Anduin thing. Uh, now it could still come along and do that for all I know. I don't, I don't know. Um, I would like to see Yorel again. And I feel like she got a bit of a hatchet job. I'll be up front. I have some friends who were really angry about the, the light bound. Oh yeah. And what, what they did to the, to the Draenei story, because this is a thing that I've wanted to lay out for a while and it's very sensitive. So, and it's not my, my thing to be upset about. It's not my, my culture, but a lot of people who are of, of Jewish descent see the Draenei as Jewish coded. And especially since they're the victims of a Holocaust and then having them commit one. Yeah. That's the kind of thing that a lot of people feel very strongly about. And I feel like doing it and then just leaving it. I mean, one of the things Steve Denuser did an interview this week. I wrote it up, but it didn't go live yet. I don't know when it will. Um, but one of the things he was talking about was that a lot of times in, in World of Warcraft, you don't get story closure for mm -hmm. a long time. And that's just, that's the nature of MMO storytelling. So I think they absolutely should bring Urel and, and the light brown bound back. And I don't know when or how they will do so. And it might not be for long. It might not just be after Shadowlands. It might be after, after Shadowlands. Uh, that's the problem. Like, if you think about it, we've been getting teases for Ashara since like BC. You know, we, I would we, say we, since, we get, since before that. Even I, I would say uh, classic. Even see in classic, we had Naga, but they weren't like it was for me. The, the first time we get a real tease for her, in my opinion, is when Lady Vosh shows up. Um, because there you've got Vosh is the biggest Naga we'd ever seen. Keep in mind that Ashara does not appear. In, in Warcraft 3. No, she does not. Ashara has never appeared in any Blizzard game until uh, this expansion. She had uh, never shown up before. She, she, Cataclysm, you can she shows up Legion. As, uh, Legion, she isn't, yeah, the, Legion and Cataclysm, those are not her, though. They're both like images or memories. Uh, I'm not sure about the Legion one because that's when you you're you're playing Ghost Guy and he says he saw her. So that's still a, it's still not actually her. It's him telling you what he saw. Yeah, fair enough. So, but at any rate, before World of Warcraft and before late World of Warcraft, I mean, I guess Cataclysm is when you really you could say that she made an appearance. She appears before Malfurion, and you're there and you see it. But this expansion is the first time she actually did anything. Like this, is the first time we saw her and and we fought her. That's a long build-up, because that's coming all the way back to Warcraft 3, the first appearance of the Naga. So we could not see Fallout from like the Maghar entry for like two expansions easily. We, we have no idea when, we'll, when that threat will get picked up. And that's the, the nature of storytelling in this game. So 
if there's a crusade to bring Azeroth, quote unquote, to the light, how is it going to work out? How is it going to go? How is Urel going to present it? Can it be presented in a way that's morally ambiguous? And that's the thing that I'm thinking about. Like, because if they just show up and they're trying to conquer everything, that's easy. You know, we, we all band together and fight them off. But if they show up and they're not trying to, like, they don't just show up and, like, you know, drop a, a light hammer on, on Orgrimmar and try and conquer everything. What if they show up and just offer themselves to everybody? And they're like, you know, hey, you have problems. We will help you with them. And you, as the usual heroes of Azeroth, kind of have to sit there and watch as the Lightbound fix Azeroth's problems. The ones that you never really seem to fix. The ones you kind of make worse all the time. But they actually deal with it. They clean up your mess. And they're even nice to you about it. Like they're, they're like, you know, thanks, champion. You know, you totally stopped that monster. And now we can get these people the food they need. And you're sitting there going, okay, I'm doing all the, the dirty work, but it looks like they're getting all the credit and everybody loves them. And they're taking over without actually having to kill anyone. And what do you do then? And, and do you, do you actually, does the game have the ability to present that? Does it, you know, people at the Maghar be like, Oh God, no, don't trust them. But, I mean, is the Alliance going to listen to the Maghar? You know, there's, there's a lot of stuff you could do here. Imagine like if they, if they straight up like showed up and, and fixed some huge problem for the Tauren, like the, they, they settled the whole problem with the Quillbore and, and brought peace. And now, so Bane's like, well, maybe they're okay. Now what? How does the Horde deal with it? Like, you know, for all that the Horde have the Maghar telling them not to trust them, that they had, you know, no negative inf opinion of Urel. You know, she even worked with Duratar. Not Duratar, Duratan, sorry. So, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like there's ways to do this that, that aren't just the Lightbound show up and it's wartime. They could make this, like, which who you trust, what do you do, sort of thing. And I think it could be interesting. I think so, too. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about with this question was, what if it's not Anduin? Like, if there is something that happens, right? Like, let's say... Let's say it's not all sunshine and roses. Let's say that they keep the motif that they've they've sort of set the tone for with the Magar uh, ally, allied uh, race quest, right? But what if it's not Anduin that they approach? What if it's, I don't know, somebody like a Tyrand who's looking to purge essentially what is the evil from the world, the Horde in her eyes, and who accepted the Magar, the Horde. So if the Lightforge were to come to her and say, look, we can help you out with this. We know what they are. We, uh, we understand what they are. We know what needs to be done. And we'll kick in and help you out here. You just have to accept our gift. With the absence of a loon, and depending on what happens in Shadowlands, could that be something that she would accept? Would that be something where these people see the, the evil that the Horde has caused? Because, I mean, again... We saved the Magar. We brought them to our world. We accepted them into our horde and gave them shelter. Would that spawn her to accept something like that? And I started thinking about: Are there other characters that would potentially as well? Because I don't, I don't think Anduin would be the choice, right? I don't think Anduin would ever accept it. I don't think he would ever go. It has to be this draconian in nature because this is not who he is. Even when he had the pure piece of Azrite in his hand. And all of his, like, his brain went into to hyper Anduin mode. Uh, it wasn't what he wanted. Even when he's confronted with things like 
oh, we need to do this. Like even with Tehran walking away, like he didn't force you. Like I am your king because he's not. And he's like, I, that's not what I, that's not who I am. That's not what I am. So I wouldn't see him jumping on that train, especially with sort of the perversion of the light in his eyes. But I could see somebody else maybe accepting that light when they're bathed in darkness. What do you think about that? I mean, it's interesting. I, it's not the way I was thinking about it, but it's something that might happen. I mean, Gen might go for it. Um, especially if you were offering Gen, you know, a chance to get Gilneas back. So that's the thing is you look at who, who wants what. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, it's an, it's definitely an interesting thought to, to, to really consider because it's one of those, like you said, we, we sometimes don't get payoff for a long time. And we were talking about this on the, the Blizzard Watch podcast uh, where some of these storylines that are happening right now are, are coming to a close. And I, and I, I was actually on the, the Training Dummies podcast a couple nights ago doing uh, a Battle for Azeroth lore recap. And one of the things that we were pointing out there was Battle for Azeroth represents a closure for a lot of long-running story arcs. And we're talking ones that have been put in place since orcs versus humans even so like we're finally getting to these points where a like long-term 15 plus year payoffs are finally happening we might not see anything from this particular story thread this seed this nugget for years to come who's to know yeah absolutely i mean that's the the nature of the storytelling is you can often have something that gets introduced and people are very invested in it and they want to see it pay off but it doesn't pay off for a long time because there's something else that that takes the the story stage, and that's just the nature of long form collaborative, uh, episodic storytelling. Because MMOs in particular, it's like a really weird combination of a of a of a long running TV series mm-hmm. and um, a, a movie franchise. Like it has elements of like the 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 the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and elements of like Buffy in terms of how it story plays out where you have, you know, the expansion has this story within the expansion. We will have these patches that tell these smaller stories. Sometimes those stories are directly related. Sometimes those stories are indirectly related. Occasionally a patch will come along. that doesn't seem to be related at all, but it's happening concurrently with the other stuff. Um, To go back and look at say wrath of the Lich King as an example, you have the the story of wrath of the Lich King is the story of the Lich King. That's it's in the name. It's the the wrath of the Lich King is what's happening, but the first patch was about you know stuff like Nexramus and Malagos, things that were either the, the Lich King's opening salvo or other things that were happening at the same time with the Nexus War and the magic um, on Azeroth. That's it's related to, but not directly part of what's happening. And the Sartarian stuff, which The Sartarian stuff was completely unrelated to what was happening with the Lich King. It had nothing to do with him, but it was happening at the same time. And that's the kind of thing that you have. It'd be like if you went to go see Infinity War and Ragnarok happened at the intermission. You know, you get these, these moments that are, they're concurrent chronologically, but they're not thematically related. While at the same time, there's also thematically related stuff that's happening. And sometimes that's the A story and sometimes that's the B story. Battle for Azeroth has very much had like 
it's had these two very strongly related but not directly related things like there's the bit with the old gods and there's the the war between the the, the alliance and the horde each affects the other each are related to the other but they're not like the the bit where you're going after ashara is not actually part of the war campaign yep it's separate but it, you in order to get there you have to do the war campaign in, in the war campaign the Dazarlor raid is the raid before um, Ashara's Eternal Palace, but it's not it's not a, a linear progression from from Dazarlor to Ashara's Eternal Palace. That's the kind of thing where it, it gets really complicated, and that's why you get these elements that pop up years down the road. Yeah, and and one thing I I think is I made this point of uh, a couple nights ago. One of the things that I think is real interesting about BFA in general is that it is probably the first, I, I want to say, interstitial expansion I think we've had. While it ties up a lot of loose ends, it plants a lot of seeds for the future. And it'll be interesting to see how long those seeds sort of gestate before they bear fruit. Uh, and I'm kind of curious how long that will take. But let's move on to... Oh, oh, one we were saying during Legion, I remember you, me, and Anne at the time were all saying, there's going to be something with the Scourge. There's going to be something about death. Yep going to happen sooner or later and probably sooner and shadowlands isn't exactly what we thought but at the same time it involves all the players yep it is pretty much what we thought yeah and and that when we called it as a thing of not just like oh it's going to happen because of this it was we were following sort of the payoff right like this is a a long-term sooner or later yep Mm -hmm. and i think with the url and the late forged i i did want to get back to your question i do think anduin will be involved in that of course. Because I think the Draenei and Velen will be involved in that. I think if Yorel shows up and she's like, I've got the will of the Naru on my side, I think the only person that could possibly be the counterpoint is Velen, who would be able to say, uh, as much as I've, I've followed the Naru through my life, I've also know when to step away from them. Especially with everything that happened with Yorel and her Velen, and seeing this Velen, it'll be, yeah. it would be a completely wild story to follow. Yeah, so I think that that's something that will happen. And Anduin is, for lack of a better word, Anduin and Velen have a close relationship. They, where Velen, Velen was teaching Anduin for a while. So yeah. I definitely think Anduin will be involved. All right, our next question is another long one. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and break this down. So uh, these are from Jylan on Etrig. Uh, hello, aficionados. Couple of questions. Number one, you guys keep referring to the soul drought as something only in the Ardenweld, uh, Ardenweld, where I was under the impression all zones were short of anima, and your character choosing to help one was basically going to be trying to find your faction uh, more or something along those lines. Did I miss something? Uh, no, we we tend to focus on Ardenweld. Not that we said that Ardenweld's the only one having the soul drought, though this... I can see where you would get that impression. It's more that Ardenweld is used as the example whenever yeah, they, they talk they about it. They made a big deal out of the fact that the soul drive's happening in Ardenweld. And that's why the, the, the Night Fair in the situation they're in, that's why they're, uh, I think it's the Night Queen or something? I can't remember her name. The Night Queen, yes. Yeah, that's why she's doing the things she's doing in that zone. Uh, it's because of the soul drought. It doesn't mean that the soul drought, everybody's feeling the pinch, but Ardenweald is also the place where effectively things go to re-enter the cycle of life. It's the like, Loa, the, uh, yeah. the ancients. Even like just nature, not the, the energy that makes nature bloom again, the, the force that through the green fuse drives the flower to steal from Dylan Thomas a little bit. 
comes from Ardenweald. It's like the the interface between the land of the dead and the land of rebirth. It's where things go to go back. So if they're not going there, they can't go back. And so it's going to affect the land of the living sooner or later. It's going to, you know, things are not going to be reborn. Things are not going to be renewed. Uh, winter isn't going to end because spring will never come. That sort of thing. Uh, we don't know exactly how this works yet. We, don't, we just know that that's what they've mentioned. That's the thing that they've brought up. I'm sure that the, it's having an effect on other zones as well. It's just that they haven't really talked about it. Yeah, and the Ardenweld is just one of those things where it's it's more, I don't want to say immediately visible to us as players, uh, especially when you're coming out of Battle for Azeroth, because if you've done the Horde side with the lowest stuff, there is literally a whole series of quests about all these Lobas that died and whether or not they're coming back like the, uh, I can't remember his name now, but the turtle Loa, um, you know, there's this whole big deal about him coming back. And then there's quests later on where you go to the ziggurat of the Loa and yes, bomb Samdi's there, but every Loa has a shrine and each shrine shows the recovery of the dead Loa that are being allowed to come back. And it, this sort of information kind of adds a little flavor to that. Like, was it really Buam Samdi gating them from coming back? Or was it the fact that there wasn't enough anima to bring them all back at once? And now it starts throwing that into question because you can see that the Tortolan Loa, you know, is being reborn, but Hyreek definitely isn't. Uh, we're, we're talking about our, our Loa of the King of Kings, Razan. He's not coming back. Like, there's all sorts of weird stuff happening there. So we can already start to see the immediate effects of the soul drought through Ardenwell there. And it's the same thing with the Ancients. How many times have we had Ancients that have been dead and come back? Like, we literally just dealt with Scenarius last expansion. What happened there? We put him down. He's in the Emerald Dream. Well, what if he can't come back? What if he can't be reborn like he was in the past? because of this like we can make the immediate leaps to it which is why we kind of talk about it a lot more than the others we have no clue how Reverend Dreth uh, affects that cycle we have no clue how Bastion uh, affects that cycle or the Maldraxxus affects that cycle we don't know any of that yet we will find out uh, but for right now Arnawell's the most populous of, of, of choices for us to talk about uh, question two, somewhere on Reddit, I saw someone, forgive me, I forget who, uh, bring up that it is established in WoW that time moves slower in the Shadowlands relative to the normal universe. Is this true? If so, would you expect some cool stuff to be waiting for us? Like what? I don't know if that's explicitly true. I've you? heard that said about the Twisting Nether. Yeah. I've never heard that said about the Shadowlands. Uh, it's possible. I can't, I don't know everything about WoW lore. Um, there's stuff that slides past me or that I miss. Uh, if that reference has happened in some book or in some quest that I didn't do for some reason, like maybe because my death knight didn't get to it, uh, I would be more than happy to be corrected. But as of right now, as I'm talking on the show, I don't know if that's the case. If it is the case, um, I would think it would be kind of interesting because the thing is, is that if time moves slower in the Shadowlands, people still die in Azeroth at the same rate they always were. So it would seem to them like, you know, I spent 300 years here and then you showed up. I died five weeks after you. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It would be really bizarre if Anduin Lothar has been dead for like, you know, 
I, I think at this point he's been dead for close to 20 years, if not more. He's, yeah, easily. And um, he's like, you know, I, I died and then 500 years passed. And then, you know, I, I, I got to see, you know, uh, Tyrion show up. And Tyrion's like, I died 20 years after you. <laughs> I didn't die 500 years after you. But I, I don't know. I have no idea. No, I, I don't know either. And there's some supporting stuff here that, that uh, Jylan threw at us. And I'm going to read it off here to see if it colors your answer a little bit. Uh, I was finishing up some unfinished quests in Legion on my death night, and I stumbled on the class hall one that seemed very interesting. During the campaign to bring back the four horsemen, you interact with Selenar, the horseman who sends you on some quests to further your and Bolvar's goals. He was the NPC that helped you get your mount as a death knight back in Wrath of the Lich King by passing into the Shadowlands of all places. We've talked about that in the past. When you first talk to him in Legion, he says, Greetings, Death Lord. Years have passed since we first met, for, but for me it has been mere days. To me, this sounds like from Wrath to Legion, only days has passed for this denizen of the Shadowlands, where we were fighting wars and threats for eight or more years. My tinfoil question is this. If what Selenar says is true, are we looking at a time jump following Shadowlands? If around eight years, give or take, is a few days in the Shadowlands, how long is a few months or a year? Does time move more slowly, or is it more like the Feywild of D&D fame, and time just moves wildly? Obviously, game mechanics-wise, it is unlikely we'll see this as we won't be trapped in the Shadowlands All Expansion, but maybe there could be changes as we progress through the patches. Bonus question, could we see the Bronze Dragonflight come into play here, or potentially the Infinite? So that's interesting. Uh, I, I hadn't considered that before. Fine. Up front, I'm going to tell you right now, I think you are reading heavily into a line that is meant as a wink and a nod to the fact that Salinar ain't been doing nothing since the last time you saw him. That's what I think that is, quite frankly. I don't think that is meant to indicate that time passes different in the Shadowlands. I think that it's meant to imply that, you know, hey, it's Salinar. Remember you saw him back in the, the when you were leveling up your Death Knight and you got your mount? That, that's what I'm going to say up front. And also, even if you take it as a lore thing, it doesn't have to mean time passes differently in the Shadowlands. Salinar's dead. Time means nothing to him. Yeah. He will continue indefinitely. So, yeah, you, yeah, years mean something to you. But for me, it's mere, mere days. I mean, he, he knows years have passed. He's aware of the passage of time. He says to you, greetings, Death Lord, years have passed since we met. But for me, it has been mere days. I don't think. I don't think it's meant to imply that the Shadowlands has a different time, and I certainly don't think they're going to time jump. But I've been wrong before, so if they do, you you got one, dude. I'll totally. I will go on the show and cop to the fact that you predicted it and I didn't. Um, I don't. You know, I honestly, I did that whole thing with with the four horsemen, and I don't remember selling our particularly strongly like it, it didn't whatever he said didn't really make much of an impact on me at the time so who knows uh but yeah i don't i do not think we're going to get a time jump i don't think that time is supposed to move slowly or quite frankly i'm not sure if that's time moving more slowly or more fastly um if 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 he only went a few days and it's been eight years out here then yeah i'm not sure how you how you imply that one uh, that's it, interesting. It, it is an interesting thought, though. Like the I, we, and we've talked about this in the past, where like 
the idea that sometimes years in game pass differently than years that we've actually played the game or the potential for it to do so. And this would be a very interesting thing. I like the idea, though, that maybe Shadowlands is like the Feywild in D&D, where things that are That would be sporadic. even weirder. Here, here's the thing. If, if it moved just straight up, you know, I've only, I, you know, it's been years, but it's only been a few days to me, then that would be really strange because literally it would just constantly new people would be popping in that you've never even heard of who just died. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, like I, the, the, the thing I used before, instead of that happening, he would have died. And then immediately after Tyrion showed up like, oh, Tyrion, he looks so old. Oh, yeah. I, you know, 20 years have passed and then I died. Like, it's only been a few days, Tyrion. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you'd end up with all these dead people who are chronologically way confused. I think it would be more likely that there's like no actual time passing in the Shadowlands. Like once you're dead, time doesn't do anything. It's all subjective. It's all based on your perception of what's happening because you're no longer a part of life and life and entropy and the flow of time are all part of that. You're dead. You're done. Yeah. So I don't know. No idea. This is but, interesting to think about, but I'm, I don't know. I'd like to see the bronze dragon flight again, just cause I'd like to see the bronze dragon flight again. Uh, quite frankly, all the dragon flights I'd like to see again. I feel like, they left their story in a really weird, ambiguous, and not tremendously fun place. And I'd like to see that move on. I, I, I'm looking at it from this perspective. I think it would be very interesting to cover both things in a, a regard of maybe time does move differently in the Shadowlands. But we've been seeing recently that the dragon flights are starting to become important again. From the entire end piece of Battle for Azeroth... What are we doing? We're reaching out to the dragon flights. We're helping them fix whatever they need to fix in the immediate threats, dealing with the assaults on their persons and bringing them back to do what? To help us, to help us once again empower an artifact of great import in order to survive and, and make sure everything moves forward. If you go to the heart chamber, there is a representative of every single dragon flight there including the Black Dragonflight, because even before Rathion, Ebonhorn was chilling in the Heart Chamber. Now, what if time does move differently in the Shadowlands, but the Bronze Dragonflight, being who they are, and technically no longer really having a purpose, adopt the purpose to chain the flow of time together for both of these as the realms are linked? I could see them becoming important in that regard where our realms, that, that barrier are shattered. How does that affect us? How does that affect time and space on Azeroth? And that could be what brings them back into somewhat of the limelight where the Bronze Dragonflight are doing what they can to sort of keep things from going haywire and keep things flowing evenly and stably because now that's their new purpose. That's what they have to do until we're done doing what we're doing. So I that's just my two cents on it. I think it would be really interesting to see the Bronze Dragonflight have something critically important again to do. Uh, maybe even that's how they become the infinite. Maybe something cracks along the way, and that's where their promised power comes in. Who knows? But I think it would be very, very cool, and I would hope uh, that we'd see them again in the near future. But it could also just be a throwaway line, like Matt said. Who knows? 
Our next question. Greetings again, Joe and Matt. Hearing you talk at length in past episodes about Bolvar, the man and general, and how it affects his position as Lich King has left me wondering something regarding the Shadowlands trailer. In Legion, Bolvar has been up to a lot, recreating the Four Horsemen and, for all intents and purposes, putting the Ebon Blade and Arceus back under his control. All this seemed to be leaning towards something more than just defeating the Legion. While it is explained how Sylvanas manages to defeat Bolvar, I wonder if, how, and why he let it happen. Was he completely unaware of the power she wields? All the other major characters seem to be, but none of them are able to look into the Shadowlands like the Lich King can. Was it just beyond his sight, or did he sense it but grossly underestimate the scope of these powers? Bolvar does not seem arrogant, so if he was aware, I don't see why he would not summon the Horseman, the Death Lord, or even the whole Ebon Blade, since they're just a Death Gate away. I hope the upcoming novel sheds some light on this, but for now, I am curious to hear your take. Thanks again for making my work weeks a heck of a lot better. Kind regards, Dendra, Night Elf, Death Knight. Uh, first of all, you're welcome, uh, and I'm glad to see here that we make your work weeks better. But what do you think, Matt? I've, I've said before, um, I don't think this is new that I, I, I think this. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, up front, I don't know what's going to happen in the novel. I don't know what's going to happen in Shadowlands. But two things keep coming to mind. One is that we now know that the Helm of Domination was made uh, inside the you know Targast, essentially, that the forge is there that made it. Secondly, we know that you know when you destroy a runic object and then remake it, it comes back stronger. And I've often thought about this when, when looking at what happened with Bolvar fighting Sylvanas. I keep coming to, to the thought, what if he wanted, like, mm -hmm. he didn't want that hat put on him. He took it because the alternative was letting Tyrion put the thing on. And he didn't see a life for himself because of what the dragons had done to him. That was, you know, the red dragon fire destroyed the plague, but didn't, it destroyed him too. Like, you saw what he turned into. You saw what he was. He was this charred thing that the life magic of the fire wouldn't let die. But at the same time, like, could he live like that? So he didn't see a purpose to his life, so he let he let the, the helm be put on him. And I keep finding myself thinking, if he wanted out, how would he go about it? If he wanted, like, some... If you wanted this to end, not just keep the Scourge in check, but end them, how do you do it? And one way to do it is to go to the Shadowlands mm -hmm. and remake the Helm there and increase its power to the point where he doesn't have to just be the Jailer or the Damned anymore. And yeah, he sees what Sylvanas is doing and decides... I can. This is how I can work with that. I can. I can stop this this way and get what I want at the same time. He, keep in mind that both Bolvar and Sylvanas are generals. They're strategists. Um, Bolvar's a high lord. So, yeah, I, I think this is an interesting thing where I, I I think you're on the track when you say that you know. Why did he let it happen? And I think he let it happen because she was doing something that he couldn't do. He couldn't destroy that helmet. He, no, couldn't he couldn't attack it. He was bound to it. But her doing it benefits him. We know he's still going to be an important figure 
in Shadowlands. He he's still going to be there. He's still going to be part of the story, and that's interesting to me because we know Talia is out there. Talia Four Dragon. They introduced her in in Battle for Azeroth. I think like there's going to be a time where you uh, you get to witness Bolvar and Anduin and Talia talking. I think there's going to be something there, and I definitely think Bolvar is he has been playing a long game since Legion with the reformation of the Ebon Blade, with the retaking of power over them, he's consolidating. And I don't think he's going to stop with Shadowlands. I think that we're going into Shadowlands and we're going to see his, his moves as part of that. And I definitely think that, I don't think he like knew exactly what she was going to do. Like, I think when she walked up to the, to the, the uh, ice crown citadel, I don't think he was thinking, excellent. Here comes the hat destroyer. Um, I just think he's like he wanted to see what her plan was because sometimes you let somebody execute their strategy, even though you know it's going to be awful. Um, one of the examples that comes to mind is uh, the British during World War II had managed to crack the German encryption, uh, the Enigma, and as a result, they knew okay, there's there's bombing raids coming and they're going to bomb these areas. If we evacuate them, they're going to know we know. They're, they're, that we've cracked, we've cracked their code. They're going to know what we, we know what they're doing. So we have to let them do it, even though it's going to kill people. Because if we let them know they crack, we've cracked their codes, they're going to change them, and then we're going to lose valuable intelligence that can help us win the war. I that might be something along the lines of what's happening, where Bolvar knew she was going to come up and attack, didn't know exactly what, but in order to preserve whatever advantage he had, he had to let her do it so he could find out what it was. And now that it's happened, in a way, he's free. So it's not what he would have chosen to have happen, because, you know, that huge that huge hold of the Shadowlands is a bad thing. I think we're going to see now what he does about it, and that's I think there's a certain amount of anticipation to it. I think he deliberately let things get where they are. I, I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, and along the same lines, right? Like, it's... It's this idea that Bolvar, if he knew what was coming, why would he let her win? But here's the thing that I've been sort of going for. Let's say he put on that helm and then he immediately understood the scope of the actual battle that was being dealt with. He understood who the Jailer was because I still honestly believe that the Helm of Domination is linked to the Jailer in some capacity. If he was able to see that in a way that the others weren't, because Nerzul wouldn't have cared to look at it. He just wanted to do what he wanted to do. And Arthas was already gone at that point and wasn't, while he was raised as a noble, he wasn't raised as a general. And there is a difference between a leader and a general. Like there's a gulf of, of experience between them. That, that's just different. Bolvar then immediately assesses the situation and understands what's going on better than some of the others did and understands what has to happen. And I think Matt's right. I don't think he had the ability to destroy the helm once he had donned it. But I think maybe in his his view, he did know what was going to happen. Maybe not exactly like, you know, she's going to destroy the helm, but she's going to come for me. She's going to come for this at some point. Maybe he saw the deal she made because he can see into the Shadowlands. Maybe he overheard it. Maybe he was able to because, again, it's one of those things where 
you know, let's say the Lich King has those those Valkyr. Those Valkyr can move between the Shadowlands back and forth. They're the ones that are ferrying souls back. What if they were able to find out or tell him what was going on in a way that they wouldn't for Arthas, they definitely wouldn't for Sylvanas, and they wouldn't have for Ner'zhul. And this is the way he wins the war. Because now the gateway is open. Heroes can go to the Shadowlands. Heroes can go and deal with the Jailer. They can deal with what's been sort of mucking things up in a way that we've never had an opportunity to do before. Because, again, none of the other Lich Kings were going to let us do it. They didn't care. That wasn't their goal. They were either under the thumb of somebody else trying to steal power for themselves or just something completely different, right? He's still a hero. He's still looking for the way to win the war and keep everything safe. And sometimes, just like Matt pointed out, you have to let things get bad at least a little bit more until you can go and finish what you started. And now we're starting to do that. Yeah, he's free. But he's not going to be free as long as the Scourge potentially can still exist or as long as the Jailer is out there and the Shadowlands are in peril. He's still technically going to be needed in that role. Once that fight's done, he can truly be free. So now he needs to end that fight. I think maybe this was all part of a grand plan. This was all part of his scheming or maybe scheming is not the right, right word. His tactics to accomplish his end goals. Right. That's what I'm starting to think. And I think we're going to see more of that in the future where Bolvar will admit that he knew that she was going to come, that he knew that the barrier between the worlds needed to be brought down in order for us to go there, because we couldn't really go to the Shadowlands in that same capacity, because if we died or were brought over there, we'd just be stuck. Even as heroes, when we die, we're not really in fully the Shadowlands. We're being ferried back to our bodies, our souls being shoved back into our, our corpses by spirit healers, which are Valkyr, who are staying behind to make sure that we don't go into the Shadowlands fully. Even Death Knights don't go into the Shadowlands fully. They have their own little pocket dimension, as far as we know. So I think I think this is part of his grand scheme. I think this is part of his battle plan, and I think we're going to start hearing about that soon because, like you said, why weren't the horsemen there? Why wasn't there an army of Death Knights between him and her? Why was she able to get up there unopposed? Like, I don't know if you remember, but when we were going through Ice Crown Citadel, that was a heck of a slog. We had to fight our way through all of these generals, all of these warriors, all of these armies, uh, soldiers of these armies of the Lich King to get to the throne. Do you think Bolvar seriously got rid of all of those? Do you think they don't exist there? I I don't think so. We know he's still raising, uh, you know, Cindergosa-like dragons. They're still around because we see them in Battle for Azeroth. We see a new one in Battle for Azeroth, for all we know. So, yeah, I think think this is all planned. I think this is something that we're going to see more of later. All right, our next question comes from Karaman. Greetings, Loremasters. My name is Karaman, Forsaken Warlock on Quel'Thalas. As in the real world, I'm a scientist. I have some biology-related questions for you to ponder upon. We forsaken don't breathe. Can reattach lost limbs just by sewing them back to our bodies. Our bodies can be sustained with rotten or spoiled meat, even things that are barely food. 
but die to magic spells or blunt force trauma. Perhaps it is, or perhaps is because the zombie trope that our brain are our weaknesses. Could you think of a possible, or th- could you think possible that the Forsaken could survive on irradiated lands or poisonous bogs? In the game, it seems that the crossing between members of different species is possible. We have half elven, or yeah, half elves, half humans, half orcs, half Draenei, half orc, half ogre. Uh, Gallowix seems to be half goblin, half frog, half, and I can't say this word because I'd have to edit it out. Uh, frog half, not nice person. Uh, on the real world, those hybrids are usually non-fertile. Can you think of a hybrid species character with offspring? I'm very sorry if my English is kind of lacking, but my first language is actually Spanish. Uh, thanks for all your work and for the amazing podcast and site. Warm greetings from Chile. Uh, first of all, your English was just fine. I think we got the gist of it. Uh, second of mm-hmm. all, what do you think, Matt? Uh, that's for the first thing. I mean, the Forsaken, they're dead. I mean, that's the thing. You're The reason that you you can be killed by enough forces just because if you destroy something's ability to move at all, then it might as well, it's still dead. It's just not moving. Um, I, I feel like with a Forsaken, if you destroy enough of their body before they can have, you know, they can use their, for lack of a word, their curse to convert other dead matter to replace the dead matter that they've already lost, then yeah, they'll stop moving. Um, I don't have a problem with that. Could they take irradiation? Probably. I mean, it's not like if they get cancer, I don't think it's going to do anything to them. <laughs> you know, they're already yeah. dead. Um, we know that you can make a poison that will kill them, but it's usually blight related. Um, Sylvanas's blight bomb is toxic, even to forsaken, even forsaken can't, can't survive in it. They'll just melt. And that's, I think that's something that'll kill forsaken pretty easily is melting them. If you, if you can disintegrate them fast enough, if you can break up the whatever the magic that keeps their dead body animated, if you can break the body up faster than that can compensate, then they die. But that's just based on stuff I'm seeing in the game. I really have no idea. Uh, Forsaken make no sense. I don't think that, you know... I don't think that's a surprise. A lot of the stuff about Forsaken, like the fact that they they, they need to breathe, is just a game thing. Like, because they do, you, if you go into water and you're forsaken, you will drown eventually. Uh, which I think is hilarious. Um, I think, quite frankly, forsaken shouldn't drown. I think they should just be able to stand to water indefinitely. But then, obviously, there's probably a 15 different ways to cheat that that I can think of. Um, I don't know. That, 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 that's, that's, you want to talk about forsaken before we move on to the next one? So for Forsaken and the idea that they can reattach body parts and everything else, I've always thought of a movie of mine that I absolutely love, uh, which is Death Becomes Her. I absolutely adore that movie because it deals with these sort of concepts. They can't actually be dead, but they can be maimed. They could breach these points of such decay that they can be shattered apart. Could the Forsaken survive on irradiated lands or poisonous bogs? Probably for a time. Yes. Um, is their brain their weakness? Maybe. Uh, we don't know because we've seen uh, undead or forsaken that don't have a head uh, or their head gets knocked off and they still kind of go and either retrieve their head or, you know, they still are able to function. So it might not be that. I think this is more soul related, if anything, than it is brain related. Uh, but I do think that over time they would probably still break down. One thing, one thing that just came to mind while you were saying that, 
in the the story, the Nathanos short story, I think it's Dark Mirror. Dark Mirror. Um, they make the point that the Nathanos, when he first came back, he was brain was so rotted he could barely think. Yep. And and that even afterwards, he had trouble. Like his the newer version of him, when when Sylvanas put him through, he can feel more because he's more intact. It's like they've grew back parts of him, so he now he's more he's got more of an attitude, he's got more feeling because of that. So that's that is one thing that they've established. The more intact your body is, the closer to the way you were when you were alive it is, the the more like a living person you are. Oh, so that's one thing they did they have set up. Oh, that's fair. Uh but again, the the question of could they survive on these lands or poisonous bogs? Yes, but as their body breaks down due to the corrosion of the the radiation, which we know does affect bodies, whether they're alive or dead. Yeah, but they also, I mean, I, I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure in Before the Storm, the point is made that they don't actually heal as such. Like, they, they have to, like, the whole thing about uh, reattached lost limbs, they actually, sometimes they have to put in other people's limbs. Mm-hmm. And other people's jaws and all that stuff. They actually have to go get corpses and use those corpses to rebuild them because they're not actually healing as such. So there's that too. So it's possible that being in a, like a radioactive place would do damage to them in a way that they couldn't recover from. So will that be a thing that we see possibly when we move into Shadowlands? I think we'll see how uh, the Forsaken are affected by various environments probably a little bit more. But what about the second question with the hybrids? What do you think? I'm trying to think. I mean, the Maghar? Not the Maghar. Um, uh, oh, bloody heck. He's champion of Rexar. Rexar, yep. The Machnathal. The Machnathal are kind of like that. And at this point, they're kind of like a stable breeding like orc-ogre thing. Keep in mind that orcs and ogres are both related. They're descended from the same, you know, Grand. It's like it's kind of similar to the Curse of Flesh in that it is, you know, as it moves progressively from Gron down to the smallest forms, there's a progression. Orcs are the gnomes of Draenor, the smallest, smartest ones. Much like the gnomes are, the, are to the Titan Forged, orcs are to the the Grond descended. Uh, you start from the biggest, most powerful elemental force who is this enormous being who's like a living mountain. And then as he got broken up and made more complex, you, you go through the various stages of like Magnaron to Gron to Ogron to Ogre to Orc. And there's a straight line of descent. So the fact that the Machnathal are kind of like Ogre-Orc crossbreeds doesn't necessarily mean anything compared like the various... Azerothian native species. Um, for instance, we haven't seen any troll elf hybrids. Correct. Even though you'd think that that would be a lot easier. We've seen a lot of, of elf human hybrids. I can think of three. Um, they're all windrunners. <laughs> um, Arator and the twin sons of, uh, of uh, Verisa and... Uh, not Kagar. I was saying Kagar. Ronan. Wow. Okay, man. Thank you, Ronan. You're welcome. Um, so th- we have seen those the, the half elves. I, I don't. I can't think of like the only half orc half Draenei we've seen is uh, Madan. Garona, isn't it? No, not Madan. Garona. Oh yeah, Garona. No, Garona. Half-orc, Garona. Half-orc. Yes. 
Um, I don't think Udan exists anymore. I think we're just ignoring him. I think uh, so too. <laughs> but, but in terms of like, are they fertile? I there there's a I don't think I can't think of anybody. I haven't seen any half elf, half human. Like you know, I haven't seen any crossbreeds that then went on to have kids. I'm not saying it has never happened. I'm just saying I haven't seen it. Um, I can't. Can you think of any? I can't think of any. No, they've never they've never addressed it, right? Like it's it's one of those things where I don't know if just by nature of the story or by nature of those characters, uh, it just hasn't happened yet. Like uh, Garamar and Galadin, uh, Ronin's twin sons, Ronin and Alaria's twin sons, or uh, Varisa's twin sons, excuse me. Um, they're not old enough, right? Like they're still like yeah, I think they're like at this point. Yeah, at, at this point they'd be like teenagers if that. Erator is probably the Erator and Garona are probably the two closest in age to be, you know, ready to do mm-hmm. that. But like, they've got other things Garona, that they're concerned with. Garona was fertile back when that was canon. Yes, when when Midian existed, then it was established in canon that Garona was capable of having children. But since that's now not canon, we don't know. It's simply something that has not really been covered in this story. Or when it was covered in the story, it was immediately uncovered in the story. Um, ironically, we also know that during the time that the orcs were crossbreeding with the Draenei, they were also force-growing the the children that they were creating that way. They were using magic to age them to adulthood. Mm-hmm. And they used that magic on just plain orcs. For instance, Blackhand. All of Blackhand's children were force-aged into adulthood because that way they could be warriors faster. Like they could go from like birth to like full grown warrior ready to kill in a few years. Uh, and if that means they age weird and die, who cares? So that's, that's something that happened. Um, I think it's Rend, Mame and Griselda were all aged up, but it might yes. just be Rend and Mame. I don't I remember. They all were. I'm not, I'm not hundred percent on Griselda. I'm not willing to say yes or no on that one, but I know Rend and Mame were. So yeah, that's, kind of an interesting little tidbit. I don't know if it really changes anything because we just, we simply just don't really know is where that goes. So that's a question that we might not ever see the answer to. Uh, I don't think it's one that they really have at the forethought of their brains, but it is something interesting to think about. Uh, could we see future generations of uh, even further hybridization of the races of Azeroth? Uh, so I think that's going to be it for us today. Uh, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast for the queue and an ads free site experience. Uh, we're going to end it with, I think one last question from our listeners here. Uh, and this one is from Sarah. Uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly, uh, was listening to the Great Horde Soul Heist episode and the talking about the Shadowlands and the Worgen so close together made me think, do you think the reason Worgen can't be raised as undead is because by becoming Worgen, a person's soul is tied to Ardenweald, while the Scourge magic is said to come from Maldraxxus? The magics could be incompatible that way because the soul is already bound to another plane of the Shadowlands, whereas if your soul was your soul is not reserved, the Scourge necromancy magic can still work. What do you think, Matt? I don't know. That's an interesting thought. I mean, it doesn't really explain why the Lich King can still turn Worgen into Death Knights. But it is 
that's an interesting point. I hadn't considered it, and it's cool. It's a neat idea. Uh, if basically, if the Ardenweald Emerald Dream Soul Transfer Highway is, you know what I'm saying? If if you're if you tied to that complex, you can't come back as a scourge. I don't know. It's it's a cool idea. Um, it certainly would be something I'd like to see them explore in some way. Why why is war why is becoming worgen a cure to the plague? Why is it that you know that's a way to keep people from being raised? Because uh, they were using that 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 goes back to the um, the horde side silver pine update from Cataclysm. They were using that yep. that the worgen were giving their to blood inoculate to themselves essentially. Yeah. So yeah, I would that'd be cool to see they explored. I don't. There's nothing in game currently, but obviously we've never even heard of Ardenweald until now, so that would explain it. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I'm actually really keen to find out if there is more going on with the Worgen and Ardenweald. Uh, but then again, this had me thinking, when when have we recently seen Fresh Scourge been made? Because I can't really think of any outside of what happened in Wrath of the Lich King where we've seen new, like, pure Scourge, not Forsaken, not ones that have been offered the choice to come back through the use of the Valkyr, but legitimate, mindless hordes of undead. I don't think we have. Like, I can't honestly think of it. So I'm wondering if maybe it's something that, yes, while it inoculated them against that to begin with, and the Worgen are, are sort of divorced from it, if maybe part of the reason we haven't seen it recently isn't necessarily that because the soul's tied to a specific plane, but because they just can't anymore because that just isn't possible. Um, that said, I want more Worgen stuff and I want more tie in with what's happening. And I think Shadowlands is a great opportunity for it because I really like this idea. I like this idea that if your soul is already reserved somewhere, you can't be messed with. And maybe Death Knights operate around that because Death Knight magic is literally reanimating a corpse with a soul, but making it, for lack of a better term, whole again as much as it can. I don't know. But it would be very cool and very interesting and very exciting to see that explored quite a bit more. But with that, we're going to call it a show. Thank you, everybody, for your continued support and listening to us. And we will see you again next week. Mm -hmm.